0: Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the impact of general aviation and commercial aviation on Minnesota communities and a preview of Golden Gophers spring football. But first, it was a hectic political week here in Minnesota in the lead-up to Super Tuesday. On Sunday, Senator Amy Klobuchar, who was still in the race at the beginning of the week, had to cancel her St. Louis Park rally when protesters took over the stage before she even appeared. (laughs) The protest focused on the 2002 murder conviction of Mayan Burrell when Klobuchar was Hennepin County attorney. Dozens of demonstrators calling for justice for Mayan took over the stage prior to Klobuchar's scheduled start time. A spokesman for the Klobuchar campaign explained afterwards.
1: Campaign offered a meeting with the senator if they would leave the stage after being on stage for more than an hour. The group initially agreed, they backed out of the agreement, and we are canceling the event.
0: But protest organizer Nikima Levy-Armstrong claimed demonstrators were ready and willing to meet with Klobuchar, but she chose not to do so.
2: At the end of the day, um, this is about the power of the people and uh, being a voice for the voiceless. Mayan right now is sitting in a cage, as he has been for nearly 18 years, for a crime that he didn't commit. And so we came here tonight with his family to be his voice.
0: Klobuchar supporters like Eve Lee from Hugo, Minnesota were disappointed the rally was canceled. Because I drove 45 minutes to come and see her and
2: support her and um, I guess that's it. I'm very sad that something like this could happen.
0: On Monday, Klobuchar made an appearance at a morning rally in Utah asking supporters,
3: help me in these next few days to talk to your friends, to understand that what unites us as a party and as a country, is so much bigger than what divides us, to bring some decency back into the White House. But
0: by afternoon, Klobuchar had announced she was suspending her campaign and endorsing Joe Biden. Carleton College political science analyst Stephen Shearer said there were likely a number of reasons for Klobuchar's decision.
4: First of all, she becomes a possible running mate with Joe Biden by providing him complete Important information and endorsement at the crucial time in the in the campaign.
0: Klobuchar had been running just ahead of Bernie Sanders in Minnesota polls leading up to Super Tuesday, and a Sanders rally Monday night drew around eight thousand enthusiastic supporters in St. Paul. <laughs> Sanders told the crowd he's opening the door to supporters of Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg after they dropped out of the race. There
5: are political differences, but I also know that virtually all of Amy's support and Pete's support understand that we have got to move toward a government which believes in justice, not greed.
0: And as for the presidential 2020 election...
5: And let me tell you, if I'm the Democratic candidate here in Minnesota, 2020, the election will not be close. We'll blow them away.
0: Minnesota Republican Party Chair Jennifer Carnahan said about Klobuchar and Buttigieg dropping out of the race and throwing their support to Biden...
3: I don't think it makes any difference on our side because the president has been so strong. His support has just been growing as he spends more time in the presidency because of all the great things that he's done and led for our country.
0: As Sanders wooed Klobuchar supporters in St. Paul on Monday, Klobuchar at times choked back tears at a rally in Dallas as she threw her support to Joe Biden.
3: Joe knows you and he will fight for you. So I cannot think of a better way to end my campaign than joining his.
0: And Biden said about Klobuchar,
5: Nobody who's ever dealt with her doesn't think that she knows them. And you know what? Isn't that everything that's missing with this president today?
0: Then came Super Tuesday, which started with a bit of controversy when the Minnesota Secretary of State's website became overloaded and sent voters looking for polling places into a progressive site which had endorsed Democratic presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren. Secretary of State Steve Simon called the matter a serious lapse of judgment and said a staff member was responsible for the error. At a committee hearing Tuesday, Republican Senator Mary Kiffmeyer of Big Lake said the whole situation was disappointing.
4: According to his statement, it's all hands on deck. I just want to say all hands on deck means the Secretary of State, as a leader of the office, should be on deck here to this committee and to be able to answer the questions on behalf of the people of Minnesota who want to know uh, what is going on.
0: Simon said, ultimately, the link to the Progressive site was active for about 17 minutes. Then came the Super Tuesday contest itself. With Klobuchar out of the race and backing Joe Biden, many felt Bernie Sanders would take Minnesota, but that's not what happened. Instead, the state went to Biden... Sarah Scott from North Minneapolis is one of many Bernie Sanders supporters who believed her candidate was being ganged up on, especially here in Minnesota.
2: I think that was a very calculated move on the part of the DNC, and I think that actually really upset a lot of people that, you know, had faith in the fact that perhaps the DNC this time around would kind of do the right thing. Um, It does not feel organic in any way.
0: And Colin Lee from Maplewood, also a Sanders supporter, said of Biden.
5: I don't think he'll attract as strong a volunteer army, I don't think he's going to have a story that makes people want to show up. I feel like um, we haven't learned our lessons from past elections when we, we nominate candidates who can't tell us why they're running.
0: Of course Donald Trump who was the only candidate on the Republican primary ballot won handily in Minnesota. State Republican Party chair Jennifer Carnahan said it doesn't make any difference which Democratic candidate comes out on top in Minnesota or in the country.
3: just comes back to what the president's delivered for our country over the past three and a half years. And we're continuing to move in the right direction.
0: Biden-Minnesota campaign spokesman Corey Day fired back. Democrats won the popular vote in 2016 and...
1: If Bernie Sanders has the nomination, if Elizabeth Warren did, or anyone else, we're going to get behind that candidate because beating Donald Trump is the central focus for all Democrats.
0: Hamlin University analyst David Schultz, however, cautioned that some of the states that Biden won Democrats won't win in November.
5: Although states like, for example... Virginia, North Carolina are very competitive states for Democrats, and the fact that Biden took them may be a good sign for him.
0: We'll have more analysis with David Schultz in the next segment. Looking ahead, Minnesota likely isn't out of the national spotlight just yet. There are rumblings that Klobuchar could be a potential Biden running mate, and President Trump has repeatedly said he aims to turn Minnesota red in 2020. So after the big lead-up to Super Tuesday, things are really only getting started— We'll have more on where things may be headed when Minnesota Matters returns after this.
6: Last night, we put on an epic light show. Yeah, we did. The crowd loved us. We love the crowd.
2: Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah,
6: but did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours. Uh. And we're fireflies. Yeah, we are. Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow in the dark like this before. And we invented glow in the dark.
5: Yeah, we invented it. And
6: we're going to be out here every night rocking out our light show at a forest near you. Woo-hoo! So come check us out. Check us out. And bring your kid, all ages show. Oh, but uh, don't bring any of those glass jars, because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah,
2: and I'm super claustrophobic.
3: Whether you're rocking their world or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. Come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you. And discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later.
2: Yeah, see you soon.
3: Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The events leading up to Super Tuesday and developments right after have fundamentally changed the race for the White House. Eminence Bill Werner talked with Hamlin University analyst David Schultz about what we can expect from this point forward through November 3rd.
4: The focus of this is where do we go from here? But, but I think the first thing that I want to ask you, Professor, is Did Amy Klobuchar's endorsement of Joe Biden, I guess most people are assuming that that's what tipped it his way in Minnesota. Would that, first of all, be a a correct assumption?
5: It's it's probable that it helped in terms of being able to tip it, although obviously nobody can prove it. But given the fact that she did the endorsement, we had a lot of evidence suggesting that many people waited till the last minute to make up their decisions regarding who to vote for. I would say it was a combination of of Amy Klobuchar's endorsement, as well as the fact that, unlike four years ago where it was a caucus, this time it was a primary. Maybe that also shifted the calculus. But it really doesn't matter on one level because yeah, so many right. people are giving her are giving her the credit for it that she wins the um, you know she wins the award for having done it for Joe Biden.
4: Let's look at where we go from here because the the, the field has totally changed in in the last week. Right, first it was right. Pete Buttigieg, then it was Amy Klobuchar. Let me get this in the right order. Then it was michael bloomberg and and then Elizabeth Warren. so we we're, we're down to effectively two, right? I mean, Correct. we're down to 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 Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Give us an idea now when we go into the next round of primaries. who has the best chance and what, what do we need to look at?
5: Well, two observations first, in many ways, we are back to where we were in two thousand and sixteen mm-hmm. where it was Hillary Clinton who represented, let us say the the establishment. Democratic Party versus then the outsider to the party, Bernie Sanders. And what do we have now? essentially the same setup except years the, later. Except that
4: one of them is male and, instead of female.
5: <laughs> exactly. So we don't have the, the sexism that sort of kicks in here or possible sexism that we had four years ago. But we have in many ways the exact same lineup now um, in terms of party dynamics, non-party dynamics, centrist versus non-centrist that we had four years ago. We also have Bernie Sanders looking like he's roughly in the same position where he was four years ago in terms of the fact that He's getting or he may be getting around 25 to 30 percent of of the vote in a state. And that's maybe what we're going to see going forward now is that Bernie Sanders probably represents at this point about 25 to 30 percent of the voters in some states. For example, he might do better because he's got a little bit better percentage there in terms of people who support his positions. Now we're talking about
4: Democratic voters here, of course. Democratic voters,
5: correct, of course. But for the most part, I think what we're going to see going forward is also a dynamic that was similar to four years ago, that Bernie Sanders will do well in some states, um, not do so well in others. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it looks like, unless someone's completely surprised here, that Joe Biden is in a much better position of getting to the majority of delegates before the convention.
4: And I want to bring back to, to the gender issue, okay, because, you know, you, you draw an interesting comparison to 2016, and I think you're you're, you're probably right on that. The candidate who ultimately might get the Democratic Party's endorsement this summer uh, is male rather than female. How much of a difference do you think that will make in the dynamic uh, versus Donald Trump? And you know, as as we're moving to November, you got any thoughts on that, Professor?
5: Yeah, clearly it's going to shift shift it both in terms of the of the primary season and, of course, during the general election. That what we're not going to get um, is this dynamic that we again we saw four years ago where. There were allegations of, of, of sexism, obviously against Donald Trump you know, during the general election, but Clinton was claiming uh, for many times that Bernie Sanders was also going after her because of her, 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 her gender. Yeah. We're just not going to see that dimension really kicking in this time at, at, at all. Um, if anything, what we're going to see this time is something different. It's going to be uh, Joe Biden capturing the youth vote against the oldster um, Bernie Sanders.
4: And where do women voters go in this whole in this whole equation? because uh, four years ago, well Hillary Clinton you know was was pulling a significant number, obviously, just for reasons of gender. Uh, and, and are those women voters, those female voters are they are they frustrated or do they go more toward Joe biden or or what do they do, do you think?
5: It seems on the basis of some preliminary polling, that suburban women who are really very critical to the democratic coalition seem far more comfortable with with joe biden than they do with bernie sanders and that may prove to be one of his big advantages as he goes through the primary process and should he become the nominee one of his big advantages going into the general election that he may be able to attract those suburban female voters um, in ways that that clearly Donald Trump uh, will not be able to do so.
4: That is Hamlin University professor David Schultz. Scott? Thank you Bill. Minnesota
0: Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A recent study shows that Minnesota general aviation and commercial aviation provide outsized value to communities they serve and generate billions of dollars in annual economic activity. Tasha Radel has more.
3: That's right, Scott. MnDOT commissioned the Minnesota Statewide Airport Impact Study to measure the annual economic impact provided by 126 public airports, most of them located in greater Minnesota. Joining me to talk about some of the highlights of the report is Cassandra Isaacson, MnDOT Office of Aeronautics Director.
2: This study that we did, uh, the economic impact of public airports in the state, there's over 300 airports. This study focused primarily on the 133 public airports. Uh, This is part of MnDOT's family of transportation plans. Uh, We do a state aviation system plan, and this is one component of it where we look at the economic impact of that transportation infrastructure that's out there. The total impact for all of the public airports in the state is $18.2 billion. And um, we do divide this work up. We we focus uh, the Metropolitan Airports Commission that owns MSP, which is what most people think of when they think of an airport, and the relievers, Uh, they do some work on that economic impact Our focus, our study, mostly covered all the other airports in the state around greater Minnesota. Those greater Minnesota airports have a $1.6 billion economic impact, and, you know, when you're in a smaller community, many of the communities that own airports in Minnesota are cities that have a population of less than 5,000 people. So if the airport's providing, you know, a handful of jobs, those are really important to those communities, uh, really valuable assets.
3: And you know, you talked a little bit about the jobs uh, in in greater Minnesota that stem from airports. Can you give us an idea on why this type of infrastructure, airports in these rural areas are so important in addition to the jobs?
2: Absolutely. So um, the airports serve a variety of roles. I think a lot of people think of uh, the small airport, that small rural municipal airport, and they're like, oh, that's just a bunch of people who on their own airplane, sort of tooling around having a good time. And that's certainly a component of general aviation, but more importantly, and a, a vital part for these communities, are things like ag spraying. So when you think of crop dusters, they're using all of these airports. Emergency uh, response. So I, I, I know very few people who don't know someone who's had a life flight of some kind where someone is at a local hospital, they need to be transferred to a higher level of care. Airports provide that service on a regular basis. Uh, wildland firefighting also is uh, used outside, out of these airports. They're the staging ground for as uh, DNR and their, their partners are fighting fires. And then businesses. Uh, aviation is vital to a wide array of businesses. Whenever you think of a chain of any kind, whether it's a grocery store or a restaurant or a company that sells tennis shoes, almost all of them use aviation as part of their business.
3: And Cassandra, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot with this one. And and if I am, I apologize. No worries. Um, You know, when we look at these smaller communities, you were mentioning, you know, the average size around 5,000. And I suppose... It it got me thinking that this has to be hard for some of these communities, I guess, to maintain their airports and the infrastructure and upgrades, et cetera. Um, Does the state help fund these airports?
2: Absolutely. So the state of Minnesota has been in partnership with every single community in this state that owns an airport for over 75 years. Uh, We collect aviation taxes. So the money that the state of Minnesota is putting into these airports – comes from aviation taxes. There's a fuel tax on aviation. If you own an airplane, you pay a registration tax, similar to how you pay license tab fees on your automobile, sales tax on aircraft, and then also the airlines. So we, co- we at the state collect those taxes, and then we distribute them back out to the system. So not only do we pay for capital improvements, like uh, mill and overlays of the runway and things like that, we also participate in the maintenance and operations costs of those airports, so the utility bills, the snow plowing, grass mowing, all of those kinds of things, the state works in partnership with local government to provide funding for those facilities.
3: And you know, for folks uh, that are interested uh, uh, in learning more, I guess, specific details on the report or going a little more in depth, can, is there a place they can find this economic study?
2: Absolutely. So if you go to MnDOT's website, mndot.gov, click the airplane. Uh, When you go to that website, you're going to see a banner across the top of the website that has trains, planes, and automobiles. Click that airplane and you'll be able to find uh, MnDOT Aeronautics Not just this study, but lots of other great information about airports.
3: Thanks again to my guest, Cassandra Isaacson, MnDOT Office of Aeronautics Director. For more information, including the individual economic impact statements for the 126 public airports directly studied, you can visit MnDOT's website at mindotgovernor slash airport economic study. Again, that website is mndot.gov. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha.
0: Up next, MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm has a preview of Gopher Spring Football. That, when Minnesota Matters returns.
4: Your surgery is over.
3: Oh, it's over?
6: What happened? Hi, Mr. Detweiler. Dr. Newman here. You have a new knee. It went great. You'll be up and around before you know it. And it's all because of you. Uh, what did I do? You were captain of Team Detweiler. You told us everything we needed to know. Your medical history, your allergies and prescription meds. You asked me tons of questions what your options to surgery might be, what to expect during recovery. You even ask me how many knee replacements I've already done. Huh, I guess I did kind of run the whole operation, didn't I? Mr. Detweiler, we couldn't have done it without you.
3: Patient safety. It takes a team. And patient involvement is key. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. With more tips at orthoinfo.org patient safety.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Spring football practice began for the U of M football team this week on campus. In all, the Golden Gophers will have 15 practices, including the annual spring game at TCF Bank Stadium on Saturday, April 4th at 11 a.m. There will be free and open practices on March 6th, 24th, and 31st at the team's on-campus indoor practice facility. The Gophers were 11-2 last year, including an Outback ball win over Auburn and finished the season ranked in the top 10 for the first time since 1962. MN Sports Director Mike Grimm has a spring preview.
4: Scott
6: Golden Gopher head football coach P.J. Fleck has traditionally had a theme for every season of his coaching career, and he's in for another theme for 2020. This year's grow higher, and we're talking using bamboo, which I've used in the past, and Uh, When you talk about bamboo, it takes three years to build underground uh, by the time bamboo actually shoots up to the top. So in year four, that's when you see it shoot 90 to 110 feet in the air. And uh, we have the ability to do whatever we want to be able to do and whatever we're going to pay the price for. So we talked about this grow higher and use this bamboo tree in this theme. So you're going to see bamboo trees everywhere. Uh, And then we talk about building the house, and this is year four, so we're installing the windows. And, uh, you know, it's amazing because before our team meeting in January, players came in and asked me, coach, we've been we've been taking bets with each other of what you're actually going to have with building the house. So it matters to them because they're actually talking about it. But it's the window part. What is why the windows is because now the framework's up. So we're installing these windows. And the wonderful thing about a window is you can look out and see whatever you want to see. Right? You can notice the birds, the sun, the clouds, the sky, but you can you can see whatever you decide to see. So whatever we want to decide to see, we can do that. However, different from last year, which we didn't have any windows, we were picked six in the West. That probably won't happen this year. So now we have windows that the outside world wants to peek in and see and study and know what we're doing inside our house. So we got people looking inside our house now and, and uh, we've got to be ready for all of that. And we've got to be two steps ahead. And that's about finding a way to continue to change our best and doing things better for longer. Last year was smarter, not harder. Now it's, we're still smarter, not harder, but now we're going to do it better for longer. And, you know, we don't have a bye week until week 11. And uh, our spring practice got smushed down into about a four-and-a-half-week period for a reason. You know, we wanted to make sure that they, we can simulate our season the best we possibly can. So um, those are the, the themes, the process, and the how for uh, – for the year so far. Flex says last year's success was important and they had an idea they'd be good. He wants that to continue. I truly believe we still have something really special you know um, you know back in January of last year we still had plenty of questions. It was based on we know what we can accomplish if we do x y and z and we do it consistently and we do it smarter not harder. I feel the same way about this football team of what we can accomplish but it's got to be done in a little bit different of a way. You know, we're not just building the framework to be noticed. You know, we're putting the windows in and, and we're not necessarily just a race to maturity or anything like that. We, we, are, we have to find a way to go from where we were at 11 wins, not just the number, but everybody's perception of that. And we've got to go higher than that. And we've got to find a way to be able those small, integral details, those fundamentals. Um, the difference is going to be in those small, little things that we weren't able to do this year to finish the job and that's what's going to be really highlighted this year. But this is, again, special group of young men, people. Forget the football aside. is a special group of men with different challenges than we had last year. But those are challenges, situations which create opportunity. And, you know, we have a lot of answers on offense, which last year we didn't have as many answers. We had more answers on defense. Now we have a little bit more questions on defense and more answers on offense. And that's the fun of every season that comes is – you never really have it all the way across the board. You're constantly balancing, developing, and, and, and moving as you go forward. Fleck returns second-team All-Big Ten quarterback Tanner Morgan, who set single-season program records last year for passing yards, touchdown passes, and many others. Fleck says Morgan will have a head start this spring. First of all, I think Tanner Morgan's earned the first-team reps, period, Right in terms of the spring. And I think if you ask Tanner, if you ask Zach, if you ask Cole, if you ask Jacob, they all want an opportunity. And everybody's going to get an opportunity. Uh, I think that that's what this program's about. But I think when you look at what Tanner has done and the body of work over a period of time and what he's done for this institution, what he's done for the football program, what he does in the leadership role that he has, uh, he's earned the first team reps in the spring. And I think if, if you ask Tanner Morgan, as humble of a kid he is, are you the starter? He's going to say, I got to go earn it. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, but it's going to be a very competitive spring. And we want it to be that way. Because the great thing about it is, I know what they can do. But now we have an offensive coordinator who gets to coach them and teach them for the first time and gets to see their strengths and gets to see their abilities to be able to grow on, and I think that's really critical for our spring is to get Coach Sanford familiar with all of them. He's been able to work here and there on some techniques and fundamentals, but to really dive into the quarterback position in terms of playing the game, I'm really excited about that.
1: Morgan himself says they're hoping to pick up where they left off on offense and get even better. As an offense, it's kind of – you know, the way you look at it is – you know, we produced last year but that doesn't matter anymore and we have so much room for growth and we can be one of the top offenses in the country and that that excites us um, but again it's not just offense first defense for special teams it's a it's a whole unit Um, so You know, as a team, we're not getting better without our defense getting better, without the special teams unit uh, changing their best on a daily basis. So, you know, we push the defense every day. The defense is going to push us to get better. Um, And that's kind of that competitive edge in spring ball. You know, in in camp, you go so long going against the same guys, and you want to get the best out of every single player. uh, And guys will, you know, whether they're chirping or um, kind of, you know, maybe getting on your nerves a little bit. but you want to push each other, and that's what I think we do a great job of, and I'm excited to, to, to see our guys do that uh, this upcoming spring.
0: That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.